At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. As I said earlier, you know, we are people that are prone to forget, especially when distractions come. And, and for many of us, I'm sure we would like to forget this last year that we have just walked through. And, you know, this time of year, as we begin to walk into a new year, we spend sometimes a lot of times reflecting uh, on the past and trying to, to figure out what was God trying to teach us and what was God, what were we trying to learn and what did God do in the last year? And, you know, this year has been, was, this last year was full of distractions, there was the pandemic, there were tensions surrounding social unrest, there were anxieties that dealt with the economy, there was a contentious election that we walked through. All of these things, their super critical issues, maybe distracted you. And we see that instead of the world growing in love towards one another, I think 2020 was a year that the world forgot how to love. Right? Of all things, we see love didn't grow this last year, but instead we see hatred and we see different people hating others. I think if we were to do a painfully honest assessment of the church, too, I think that this, the church wasn't immune from this. That frustration and bitterness and anger and resentfulness grew in the hearts of people this year. I know even in my own life, there were times when I found myself being angry at someone that disagreed with me or someone that, that cut me off. I was more angry and more quick to respond in anger than I was to respond in love. But you know, as we look at the Bible, we see that the greatest and most important virtue that God has called us to pursue is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is known as the, the love chapter, where Paul gives us a, a beautiful picture of what love is and what love isn't. He, in that passage, he gives us three virtues. He says, these three virtues remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. This is what we're called to do. And we even see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we see that even if we do all great things, if we serve others and we give of all that we have to the poor and have not love, then we have nothing. This is what we're called to do. And we are prone to forget that we're called to love. And here's this crazy thing. We usually don't lose our ability to love overnight. What happens, it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen in a devastating mo moment. What most often happens is we lose our compassion for others slowly over time. Where we take our eyes off of Jesus and we divert our attention away from him and we begin to focus in on the brokenness of the world around us. We slowly lose the desire to love. In Revelation chapter 2, is, is the Apostle John is writing letters to the different churches that are scattered in the region, we see that there was a church that he wrote a letter to in Ephesus. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, this is what he says. He says, to the church, you have abandoned the love you had at first. You see, the church lost its love. 
Somehow the church at Ephesus had, had lost its love and had been focusing in on the things of the world and not focusing on the mission that God had given them. But then he goes on in verse five to encourage them. And he says, remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. I think that this challenge that John writes in Revelation is a word of rebuke, but also it's a word of comfort. He reminds him, he says, realize where you're at. Realize how far you've gotten off track and then repent, return. So there is a beautiful opportunity for us to understand where we are, but we also see there's an invitation to repent and return. So it's a word of comfort. Today we're beginning a series entitled Learning to Love Again. Maybe you've made it through last year and you didn't lose your, your focus, you didn't lose sight, and you have been the wonderful example of love. And if that's you, praise God for that. Continue in that. But for many of us, we need to be reminded of this great virtue that God has called us to. So today we're going to begin, as we jump into uh, this series, we're going to be walking through the book of 1 John over the next several weeks. And one of the biggest things that we learn in the book of John, or 1 John, is that God is love. We learn this about his very nature, that God is love, that God is the definer of what love is, and God is the definer of how we are to love and how that is to be expressed. You know, we look at the world, and the world tries to define love in very, very different ways. But the world is not the definer of love. Did you hear that? If we're looking to the world to help us define love, we've already gotten off track. God is love, and so he is the definer of it. So the next, over the next several weeks, we're going to try and figure out what that looks like and how we are to live in love. And so today, as we look at this passage, the big thing that we're going to learn today is that to know God is to love him. To know God is to love him. And today we're going to answer the question, how do we truly know that we know God? How can we truly know that we know God? And we're going to see this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. So go ahead and turn there and look with me. Verse 3, so we read this together. John writes, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In this passage today, I want us to see the first way that we can truly know that we know God. We see that to know God is to obey him. To know God is to obey him. We come to this, this simple passage, and you know, whenever I'm reading through scripture and doing study, when I see a word repeated multiple times in, in just a few short verses, that gets my attention. And we see that that's happening here in this passage. Right off the bat, in these few short verses, the word or the verb to know shows up four times. And so we've, we've got to take note of that. What is, what is John saying when he's saying that we are to know? Well, in the English language, we only have one verb, to know. And we, in order to understand what we mean when we say to know, we have to look at the context of the conversation. So if I were to say something like, I know that two plus two is four, 
you know that I'm talking about an intellectual knowledge of something. I know how things work. Or for me to say uh, that I, well, for Christmas I got a new book um, about that Michael J. Fox has written, and he's my favorite uh, actor of all time. I loved him in, in Back to the Future and Family Ties and all the different things. And he writes this book. I haven't started reading it yet, but in the book he writes about his struggles with his health and how he's been fighting Parkinson's and trying to find meaning in life. And you know, after I read the book, I'm gonna know Michael J. Fox. Right? I'm gonna know about his life, but that doesn't mean that I know him. Right? I, I know about him, but I don't know him. And so we can know of something. But we look to the Greek language, and we know that they, they have two different verbs uh, that they use to understand what we would translate as to know. The, the first word that they have in the Greek is odia, which means uh, to have an intellectual knowledge of. So this is the knowledge that I've been talking about. But that's not the depth of to know. And so we look here and we see in this passage that that's not what uh, John is writing about. He's talking about another word. And this Greek word is gnosko. Quite literally, it's probably better translated that this intimate knowledge is a personal, intimate, and experiential knowing of something. So he's talking about a deeper, not just a knowledge of or know about or intellectually thinking about God, but he's talking about here is this intimate relationship that is experienced between the two parties of knowing one another. It's, it's most closely represented in earthly relationships through the relationship between husband and wife where over time there's a deeper giving of oneself over to the other, where there's an opening up and a sharing together, a deep, intimate, not only knowledge, but understanding and shared experience. And so what he's saying here is we can know God in this way. This is so beautiful. What we see here is an open invitation to know God in this way. Right, remember, sin has separated man from God and there, therefore there's no way that man can come back into knowledge or into relationship with God by himself. But now we see that John is saying it is possible for us to know him. And we know how it's possible to know him through knowing Jesus. When we come to place faith in the work of Jesus, we can enter into this type of intimate knowledge and understanding of God. But then he goes on and he says, not only can we know him, but we can also have assurance that we know him. We can know that we know him. So John wants us to understand that we both have the blessing of salvation and the blessed assurance of knowing that we are saved. Have you ever questioned your salvation? Have you ever gone through a season of like, hey, am I really like, am I really in this? Or am I just kind of walking through the steps? Do I really know God? And am I really saved? Well, I love here because we, John gives us assurance. Not only do we know that we can know God, but we can know that we know that we know that we know. So how do we know this? We can have confidence that we have a relationship with him if we keep his commandments. If we keep the commandments that God has given us, then we can have knowledge or assurance that we know him. In essence, if we are becoming over the course of our lives more and more like him, we can be assured that we know him. 
If our lives are on a trajectory of growth towards him, then we can know that we know him. Some come to this passage and they're like, wait, wait a minute. So, so what are you saying? What if I don't keep the commandments? Like, what if I sin? What if I fail? What if, I, I know I can't live up to the standard of following all of God's law all by myself. Is there any hope? And am I, am I really saved or do I need to get saved again? Do I need to continually being saved every time I, I fail at keeping the commandments? And I want to remind us that look to the verses just before this, verses one and two. There's a teaching here that we see and, and that doesn't conflict one another. But John writes in verse one, he says, my little children, I'm not writing these things so that you, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our propitiation for our sins and not of our own, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we see this blessed promise that that John's saying something completely different than sometimes we read this passage to, to mean. You see, once we come into relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus, our sins are continually being forgiven. That's that word propitiation. Jesus is continually going on our behalf before the Father every time we sin, saying it's paid for, it's paid for. I paid for that, I paid for that. He's our propitiation. And so John must be saying something different. And what I love about this is that he's saying that this propitiation, this saving and this forgiving is not just for us, but it's for the whole world. He's saying it's not just for the early church. It's not just for the apostles, but it's for all people of all time. So then what is he saying? So what does he mean when he says that we need to keep the commandments? Well, this word to keep is the Greek word tereo, which literally means to guard something that is valued or treasured. So what he's saying is, is he's not saying that you have have to not sin ever again to make sure that you know God and, and obey him, but it's a heart disposition change to the word of God and the truths of God. There's a a way in which we take this word of God and we treasure it, we guard it, we keep it. We say that this is the source, this is the primary source of influence in my life. And even though I don't, sometimes I don't like what it says, I have a heart to obey it. If you don't have a heart to obey it or you don't desire it or you wanna go through the Bible and pick and choose, maybe you don't know him. Maybe you're not keeping his commandments. Maybe you're not treasuring them. Because we see here, to know God is to obey him. There's a way in which we take this words of God and we deeply dive into knowing who God is. And as we deeply dive into knowing who God is, that transforms us. And it changes us. If there is no change in your life, if there is no desire to obey God's word, then you don't know him. I think that the world today, that there are many, many Christians or people that are convinced that they're Christians that don't know God in the way that God wants to be known. I think that there are many people that follow Jesus as an idea that they know of Jesus and they know of God, but they don't intimately know God. 
that there's not a desire to follow him. They, they, they want Jesus as a good luck charm. They want to follow Jesus as a get out of hell free card, but they don't want to obey Jesus. There are people that come to God's word and they pick and choose the parts of the Bible that they like and they reject the parts of the Bible that call for change. Recently, I've been reading through uh, a book called The Cost of Discipleship. It was written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer as he is walking through the time of Nazi Germany. I've mentioned him uh, in several sermons in the past. And in this book, he talks about the cost of following Jesus. And he says that the church in his day had, had begun to embrace this idea of cheap grace. And this is what he says in his book. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. See what the church in his day was wrestling with, I think the church in our day also wrestles with it. That we've taken the grace of God and we've made it cheap. That we talk about God's love for us, which he is loving for us, but we, we've left out the discipleship part of it. We've left out the discipline part of it. God calls us to come and pursue Jesus with all of our lives. It's a call for us daily to sacrifice ourselves on the altar every single day. It's a call to make the word of God the primary influence in our lives. And it's a call to him and it's a call to be faithful to him. You know, in my marriage, I show my honor to my marriage by being faithful, right? I, I, I do the things that, I, that you're supposed to do when you're married to keep that covenant bond. And I don't do some things because I want to keep that covenant bond in the same way. So in the same way God calls us to obey in our relationship with him, I'm called to obey in my own marriage. And so we see that living out in our lives that it's a show of love, it's an act of love by showing that we obey. So if you hope to grow in love this year, if you hope to be more loving, if you hope to follow Jesus more deeply this year, we've got to be people that begin by loving God's word. By allowing it to have influence in our lives, to allowing it to, to soak up every part of who we are, getting in the habit of praying, getting in the habit of, of reading our Bible, getting in the habit of doing it together in community. This is a great time of year to begin that. Maybe you um, have never read through the Bible and maybe that's what you wanna do this year. Make a plan so that you read through the Bible. There's plans all over the internet. You just go reading through the Bible in a year study plan and you can have that and you can do that. But if we hope to grow in love, it means that we must grow as disciples, as followers of Jesus. Where the sins that we've been dealing with for the same sins that you've been dealing with for years and years and years, maybe this is the year that you allow God to take it over. Maybe this is the year that you just finally say, okay, God, I surrender. I give this up to you and I want to walk in love with you more and more. Maybe this year you want to grow in obedience. Maybe there's some areas of your life that you're like, I've been a little lax on and you want to grow in that. This can be the year by growing in love, by growing in studying and reading God's word. 
So we've seen to know God is to love him, and we do that by obeying his word. And secondly, I want us to see to know him is to love his people. To know him is to love his people. Look at me in verse 7. He said, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John begins this difficult teaching in these verses by referring to his hearers as beloved. John knows he's getting ready to say some challenging stuff to them, and he takes his very pastoral position as as an influencer in their lives to say, beloved, I love you, and this is coming from a place of love, but I need to say some hard stuff. You need to understand what it is that you're called to. Not only are we called to know God and to obey him, but one of the ways, the best ways that we obey him is by loving his people. I don't know exactly what was going on in the time as inside the church and to the people that John is writing to here, but he's picking up on a trend. I know that he is writing because he wants these believers to live distinct lives from the world. And one of the greatest ways that we are known in the world is by our love. And so what we see here is he begins by saying, hey, I want to say hard things to you, but it's coming from a place of love. And then he goes on and says something about old and new. I'm I'm not writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment. So what's he talking about here? Well, you know, in 1 John chapter 3, 11, John writes this. He says, for this is the message that we've heard from the beginning, that we should love one Another. So he says, from the very beginning, when Jesus steps on this earth and he begins calling people to follow him, one of the things that he says is love. John, Jesus, in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus declares this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So he's saying in the, very much the same way that this following Jesus, this, this faith, in Christ begins by us loving. That the greatest way that the world knows who we are is not by the activities that we do, not by the Bible studies that we attend, but we are known, the mark of our maturity is how we love other believers. So this is nothing new, but what he's saying is that it's old commandment, but it's new in the way that it's not stopped being the way that we should live. It wasn't that we were called to love one another while Jesus was here on earth, but this is a call that continues on. This commandment is new because it's continually needing to be refreshed in each one of us. It's not stale, it's fresh, and it's alive. This message of love was fully realized in Christ and continues in the hearts of his people. I love how Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, Uh, Verse five, he puts it this way. He says, God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into us through the Holy Spirit. If God is love, we have this love living inside of us. 
And so we do have the capacity to love in the way that God calls us to love. We do have the capacity to obey because we have God living inside of us. And he goes on, and I love, he talks about this darkness is passing away when the love that is being poured out in believers is being poured out from them into others, it dramatically changes the world around us. This is why John says, darkness is passing away and true light is shining. When we love in this way, it changes everything. It brings light to the darkness. And where light is, darkness has to flee. What a beautiful promise that we have the ability to love in this way, not only to obey, but we love the brothers. We love other believers. This is the greatest mark of our maturity is how we respond to each other. Have you ever seen a fountain? I'm not talking about one of those fountains that just you know, shoots up in the air, but I'm talking about like one of those multi-tiered fountains. You know what happens in those multi-tiered fountains? There's, there's a source of water that is pumped through it. And when it goes up to the top, it begins to fill, overflow, and it fills up a bowl, right? And as that bowl begins to be filled, what happens to it? It overflows into a bigger bowl. And when that one begins to fill up, what happens? It overflows into a bigger bowl, and it overflows into a bigger bowl. And it continually is, is, is um, being recirculated, and it's continually bringing, bringing change. I, that's the kind of image that I see in my own mind of what this love that God is calling us to, that this love that has been poured out into us. What happens is as we rest in the love and we grow in this love of God, what begins to happen is it fills us. The love of God fills us so then it begins to overflow us into others. It begins to naturally flow into our marriage. Right? If, if I'm being filled with the love of Jesus, the greatest place that I'm going to show that love is, is to the most special relationship that I have on, in this life, and that's the relationship with my spouse. And then as that cup gets full and I'm able to love my wife, then it overflows and I'm able to love my family. And then I'm also able to love my neighbors and I'm able to love my distant family and I'm able to love other believers and I'm able to love my neighbor. I'm able to love the lost and inevitably I'm able to love my enemy. But you see, I can't get there to loving my enemies until this love is being produced in me by me walking and knowing God. The more that I know God, the more I'm going to obey. And the more that I know God, the more I'm going to see his love for me. And as I understand his love for me, it's going to overflow so that I'm going to begin to love others. The problem is, is that most of us don't spend that time knowing God in this way. We find it very difficult to love our enemies. Instead, we, we want to go the way of the world. We want to distance ourselves from enemy, our enemies. We want to get away from people that dislike us or hate us. And we even find it hard sometimes even in the church to love the person that's sitting next to us or the person that's sitting in front of us or behind us because they've hurt us in the past. We cannot say that we love God and not love his family. This is primary. He says this first, before he says, love your enemies. Even way before that, he says, the primary place we're supposed to love is love in the family. I don't know if you've been a part of the church long, but I know that one of the things that happens in church life is that people hurt each other. 
We, we misunderstand each other or we, we, we live life and, and we maybe have been hurt by someone and we never spend the time to communicate that hurt to the other person. So we're sitting here hurt over, over uh, all by ourselves and the other person's going on with their life because they have no idea that we've ever been hurt by them. But we're called to love one another. We're called to move beyond that and move outside of that by allowing our knowledge of God and our knowing of God by deepening our relationship with God to, to show itself through our love of others. Maybe you're here today and you're living with hurt from someone else. What a great time of year to move towards forgiving. It may be difficult for you to, to forgive. It may be difficult for you to love, but we can move towards that by trusting in God's word and moving towards forgiveness and reconciliation. If we hope to love the lost and we hope to see transformation in the world, it has to begin by us being healthy. It has to begin here. Maybe you've been hurt and you've never expressed that hurt to the person that has hurt you. May the love of God move you to communicate with them so that you can, so they can know that they hurt you and so they can move towards forgiveness. We are his children if we love him and we ought to love one another because he is light. We can't say that we are walking in the light if we hate God's children. Though we are prone to forget, let us not forget that to know God is to love him and we show our love for him and our knowledge of him by obeying him and by loving his people. This is where it begins. So maybe you're here today and you've never come to know the Lord. Maybe you never have experienced his love in the first place. Well, you can do that today. The Bible reminds us that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Come to the Lord, call on him, and be saved. But for many of us, we are living in that place, and, and maybe this has just been a reminder as we start this year just to say, hey, am I really loving? Am I loving the church? Am I loving my brothers and sisters in Christ? Or is there some resentment? Is there some hurt? Is there some pain? If there is, then let's begin this year by dealing with that so that we can move on and so that we can learn to love again as we love each other and love the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love. It's no small thing that you love us, especially as we are known and prone to forget. We're prone to wander and we're prone to disobey. But Father, your love stays the same and your love remains. Father, I pray that this year for our church, we would grow deeper in our knowledge of you. Not just head knowledge, but Father, a deep abiding knowing of you. That you would awaken our hearts and uh, give us a deeper desire for your word. That we would be devouring this word this year that we would know the plans that you have for us and that as the distractions from the world come and as the world declines further into darkness, Father, I pray that we would not be scared by that, we would not be moved by that, but that we would see that as a call to engage. So Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that this year would be a year for tra of transformation in each one of our lives. 
Father, I pray that the sin that we are dealing with in each one of our lives today would be eradicated this year. I pray that we would be pursuers of holiness. And by that, we would have assurance that we are saved. Father, I also pray that this year would be marked by love for one another, that our love for each other would grow deeper and deeper and deeper, and so that the world would see our love for each other and desire it. Father, you have called us to be light in the darkness, and the greatest way that we can be light is through ex exemplary, or being examples of your love. So Father, however you've spoken to our hearts this morning, may we be resolved to allow you to transform us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.